be nice and grateful to everyone because this world is way too small. And when you're not nice to people, they remember. And when you're nice to people, they remember. And I think hospitality in itself is a relationships industry. And when people like you, they want to work with you. And when they don't like you, they don't want to do anything to help you. So just be kind and be grateful and soak in as much as you can in every job that you have, because every role is going to teach you something different. Welcome to the Hospitality Mentor Podcast. I'm your host, Steve Turk. Join me as we dive into the personal stories of some of the world's best hospitality professionals. We follow the journey of their ups, downs, and wild turns to find out what it truly takes to make it in the amazing world of hospitality. This episode is brought to you by our podcast partners at Real-Time Reservation. Their inventory management system is best in class for hotels and resorts to manage their non-room inventory. The web-based application allows for creative upselling of overnight and daytime visitors with add-ons and pre-planned packages. Hotel guests and non-guests can reserve cabanas, pool chairs, activities, amenities, excursions, events, day passes, and much more. The real-time reservation platform offers a fully integrated pre-arrival portal where guests are verified through the property management system. Guests can prepay for cabanas and activities through credit card integrations, which are then processed through point of sale. All of our listeners that might be interested in using real-time reservation are welcome to explore the demo at realtimereservation.com. Once again, that's realtimereservation.com. All right, welcome to another episode of the Hospitality Mentor Podcast today. I'm excited to have my friend, Ceci, in the house with us today. Ceci is the founder of Ceci C Communications. Ceci, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you. It's, it's nice to talk to you on this side of the camera. Yes, <laughs> Thanks for having so me. For listeners, Ceci is based out of New York, and you can feel the New York energy in her background with the sirens going. <laughs> I was going to say, can you hear the sirens? I'm sorry. That, those I can't do anything about. No, I love it. I love that you're up there. And Ceci and I have been working together for almost a year now, and she has an amazing story. It took a lot of arm twisting to get her on the show, but I'm happy she's finally joined us. So, Ceci, let's jump right into it, as we always do. What was your first job in hospitality? Accidentally. I ended up working, I went to school at the University of Florida and a friend of mine was the manager of one of the nightclubs there. And, um, you know, like any college kid, I needed some extra cash. So I worked the beer tub at a nightclub. It lasted for about three weekends, but that was my first service hospitality job. <laughs> Do you remember the name <laughs> of the place? Was it the, the Palace? The Palace? It was the big one. Was it, the big, it was the big one that was kind of like Cameos in Miami. You remember Cameos in Miami, right? Of course, right? yeah. Okay, so this UF. was this was like the cameo of Miami. Yeah, it was it was that's right, Irinol. I'm sorry. Oh, Seminole here. <sighs> sorry to hear that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, I think it was one of the big ones. It was I think it was the the Palace Theater, but it was called something else at the time. But it, it was a very big nightclub. They used to do a lot of like concerts and shows there and things like that. Yeah. Well, great. So we know that that wasn't your future being the the bar tub or the beer tub and bartender uh, future. No. But- you got into PR and marketing, which is a whole different side of the hospitality world that we haven't got into yet. So I'm excited to have you on here to talk about it. So let's talk about your journey. Is that something that you wanted to be? Did you study that when you were at FDA? No, I feel like ever since I was probably like middle school, high school, I decided I wanted to be on TV. I wanted to be a news reporter. I really love news. I was just a junkie. I would like pretend to write scripts and read them out loud in my room and you know, I always just wanted to be a news reporter. Um, so I went to school to, um, that's what my degree is in, uh, broadcast journalism. Um, and I took lots of TV classes. And I'm not going to say that the University of Florida discouraged me, but I will say that the first day I walked in there, the first thing the professor said to us in our communications class was, 85% of you are not going to make it in this industry. He said that on the first day. And that was wow. like such a discouraging moment for me, <laughs> mainly just because, you know, obviously TV at the time was very competitive. And, and so, um, yeah, I, I went to school for broadcast journalism and uh, telecom news. Very nice. So when you're studying that, you, your goal was to be on TV, right? Is that Correct. kind of your mindset all the way through? 
Yes. I want, I, as a kid, like I always loved Rick Sanchez in Miami. Shout out to Rick Sanchez. I know this took a shift in careers, but I loved him. I did a tour of the station. So my goal was always like, how do I get back to my local home station news and work at channel seven? <laughs> Cause they were the, the most dramatic and fun TV, TV station, I think in Miami at the time. So that was my goal. Yeah. So that's why I went to school for that. I took a couple of classes. I mean, my whole um, last two years were complete journalism classes from like law to how to read a teleprompter, acting classes. You had to take acting because there's a certain way, you know, to read for television versus when you're reading for the news, it's completely different, you know, showing emotions, how to stay serious when you're reporting on a very tragic story versus like how to show emotion. Um, so that was my track. And um, I did a couple of internships there. I worked at the local um, ABC affiliate in Gainesville on the weekend. I, I worked as the weekend assignment editor, just basically listening into the police station. What do you call it? The, the radio? I, the radio. And like, see if anything interesting was going up where I could send a crew out to go cover it. Not much exciting going on in, on the weekend in Gainesville, except for a couple of robberies and things like that. Um, I also worked as a news reporter, a local news reporter at the local station, which was a PBS affiliate. And I think the day I realized that I did not want to do this was um, they sent me out to cover a mock fire drill in Ocala. And at the time, TV cameras were the size of me. Like, I'm very short, barely five feet. And the tripod and the camera were bigger than me. And we were, at the time, a one-man band. So you were the cameraman. You were the reporter. You were the producer when you got back to the station with your stuff. And so I remember just walking out there in the sand, in the dirt, carrying this big tripod and this big camera and in my brand new coach heels that my mom had bought me, which I was so proud to wear. (laughs) And I was like, God you know what, maybe this is just not for me. And like in school, they kind of just tell you like, you're going to have to obviously put in the work, right? For anything, right? You're going to have to put in the work and work your way up there when you want to get to where you, you know, wherever it is that you want to be. But um, I just realized that I, I really enjoyed sitting behind a desk in the air conditioning, reading a teleprompter. I really enjoyed meeting new people with these stories because at the same time, you'd always get assigned a different story and you'd meet you know, a variety of different people throughout your day in the community. And I love that part, but I didn't love the grunt work. And that's when I realized that it would just, I guess I wasn't passionate about it enough because at the end of the day, if you're passionate about something, you're going to put in the grunt work. And I, I realized I'm like, this is not for me. I like the glitz and the glamour of it, but I don't want to put in the work. I was also told you needed to work in some small market station for, you know, $17,000 a year before you could even dream of making it back to a big market like Miami. And so I wasn't a fan of moving to a small town by myself to make Mm -hmm. peanuts to just hope that I made it one day. And, you know, sometimes I wish maybe I would have tried it. I think things have changed in the broadcast landscape now. Sometimes I wish I maybe would have pursued it. But you know what? I think that my path let me down the path that I needed to be on because I'm still working with people. I'm still meeting new people all the time and I'm still communicating. I'm just doing it in a different way. I gotcha. So when did you start to shift out of that? news world and more into the PR world? Um, well, I did an internship right the summer right before I graduated at Univision in Miami. And, you know, I think that's when I finally decided. Now, hold on. Is it Univision or Univision? Well, <laughs> bueno, if we're talking in Miami language, yeah. we say Univision. In English, it's Univision. But yes, I worked on a show that is still around. It's called Primer Impacto. It was very, uh, it was a news magazine, you know, evening show, um, very dramatic stories, most of the time covering things that are happening in Mexico, which I never really understood because they broadcast in the United States. But, you know, most of the stuff was heavy on what was going on in Mexico. And um, yeah, I mean, it was a great experience, but I just realized that, you know, I wanted to try something else. So um after i studied abroad right before right after i graduated i took a semester to go to spain and um i just realized that you know there there were so many so many different things out there that i wanted to explore and so i was like you know what i have a journalism background i know how to write i like writing um i like communicating and i like people so let me try pr because at the end of the day pr professionals are what help these news reporters get stories on the TV, in the newspapers, in the magazines. So it's kind of like flipping the switch and I am the source for these reporters instead of being the reporter telling the story. So um, I realized that I was really good at it and I should have known because when I was a kid, I was always getting in trouble. Mm -hmm. My mom always used to, teachers, Ceci's great, we love her, but she talks too much. 
Ceci's great. She gets her homework done, but her conduct, mm, she mm. talks too much. She wastes, socializes too much. And that was always like everything that the teachers ever complained about me was that I talked too much and I socialized too much and I wasted too much time socializing. So I think, I think I ended up in a career where I get paid to socialize, which fits me perfectly. <laughs> yeah, and you're good at it. I can, can, can vouch for that. So you're working with Univision. Mm -hmm. When do you switch out from working there? Well, after the internship was over, I, you know, I started looking for jobs and obviously, you know, I always wanted to come to New York, but I never, you know, I think at that point I was like so young and scared and intimidated. And I was, I was very easily intimidated at those times. I was like, well, you know, if people say it's going to be hard, it's probably going to be hard. So I probably shouldn't try it. I wish that I would have actually come to New York sooner, but instead I moved back home to Miami and I just looked for a job locally because I just, you know, I had no money, I had no job. So I moved back in with my parents and yeah, I just applied at a local PR agency, which was the first uh, PR job that I had. And, you know, it was a really great experience. Did a lot of nightclub PR, a lot of local restaurants, a lot of lo on the local level, community driven PR, because those the smaller agencies that were there in Miami at the time were more focusing on, you know, local restaurants and um, the real estate business was booming. So I had a lot of I worked on a lot of projects like some of the buildings that are now in downtown Brickell, I'm, you know, I'm sure you're familiar with Everglades on the Bay. That, that was one of mm -hmm. my clients. It was a, a developer called Cabby, Cabby Developers. They were a Mexican company and they were building tons of projects down in Brickell. That was when it was still the um, Miami Arena. I'm dating myself. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yep. No, and true. so that's, that's, that was my first PR job was working at an agency, hospitality, nightlife, and some real estate clients. And so what was that like when you first started? Because it's very different than what you were doing before. Do you remember like your first kind of entry into it? What was it like when you first started in that area? It was really hard um, because I had never worked in PR and I never studied PR. So I had absolutely no idea how to write a press release, what a boilerplate was, a lot of like simple language, things that are just very transactional for PR people that you know, like what's a boilerplate? How do you use this platform? Um, what's a clipping report, things like that. And so I think what I will say about my first job is that it was definitely a learning ground for what I didn't want to be because I felt like I really didn't get a lot of handholding at all. I think the woman that owned the agency, she was just trying to stay afloat and, you know, she needed cheap labor and she got me and she didn't really teach much. I had, she said, I'll never forget one day. She said, I need you to find a list of local food reporters. And I was just on Google, Googling and trying to do research the old school way when I didn't realize that she actually had this platform, which at the, at the time was, well, it's still called Cision. She had a platform where I could log in and I could pull and it was a media database and it was literally specifically for what she needed me to do. But she never took the time to sit me down and be like, hey, let me show you how to use Cision. Let me show you how to log in. Let me show you how you can pull a curated list of food media. Mm -hmm. um, and so she was disappointed with the work because I spent two days pulling and I couldn't find much because it was the internet. Yeah, you know, early days. Early days, right. And, and so, yeah, that was basically, it was a learning, a learning experience, that's for sure. But I had a lot of fun doing it. We worked on a lot of cool projects at the time, you know, a familiar nightclub, Nikki Beach mm -hmm. um, in Miami. They were, we worked with the Penrod family and they were at the time expanding to um, New York City. So we actually did the opening of um, Nikki Beach here in Manhattan, which didn't, didn't survive for too long. But Pangea, the nightclub at the Hard Rock in the Seminole Hard Rock Casino, worked on that. Um, I just had a lot of really fun nightclub. And I did yeah. a lot of fun events with Dennis Rodman. He was really still popping at the time. He would show up to all of our events. And it was like typical 25-year-old dream come true. I'm like working the red carpet of a nightclub opening tonight. And Dennis Rodman is walking in and it, it was a lot of fun, but I realized that it got old very quickly and I got tired and you still had to go to work the next day when you were working the red carpet and went to work hungover plenty of times, not gonna lie. <laughs> yeah, especially when you're in that age range and you're at the nightclubs, it can get fun even when you're working and you got to be mingling with people and making sure everyone is. And the drinks are flowing point. and you're not paying for them. <laughs> yeah, that's fun. So I want to talk now how you get into the real world of hospitality. How did you find your way into your host first hotel? Got it. So, I mean, I've always loved traveling. Um, I think that as a, as a kid, I wasn't really exposed to it as much. Um, and so as soon as I was able to on my own, I was always like planning trips. And that's kind of when I fell in love with travel. 
my, a couple of agencies that I worked at um, focus specifically on the travel and tourism industry, but mainly the one that helped me kind of get my foot in the door with travel was an agency that was actually based here in New York, but they had an office in Fort Lauderdale and um, they had me working on the American Express travel account. Um, and they had a couple of resorts down in, in Florida as well that I got to, you know, touch on vaguely, but I mainly worked on the American Express travel account. And I honestly hated it because I was basically talking about how you could spend all this money on your card and redeem all these points. And I was pitching business and finance reporters and it, it just wasn't exciting to me. I honestly, I, I, I hated it. But at that moment, there was an agency down in Miami that was recruiting because they had just won a very big piece of business, which was the Mexico Tourism Board account. And th that basically that account gets staffed with almost 25 people because it's such a massive account. You basically are in charge of promoting uh, Mexico, the entire country of Mexico, which is obviously a very big country. And so they were looking for someone that had travel experience, but that was also bilingual because obviously with it being a Mexican client, like you, you needed to be able to communicate with the client in Spanish. And so I had a recruiter reach out to me and I was like, sure. I didn't even, I walked in there not even caring if I got it or not. And I, I stayed at that agency, I got the job and I stayed at that agency for five, almost six years. Um, and that's when I really got into travel and hotel. I worked on the Mexico tourism board account. We went on to represent Cancun, the destination. Um, we went on to represent Panama. We went on to represent uh, Los Cabos as well. Um, once the Mexico tourism board account was over, it was a, a contract we had for almost three years. Um, we picked up some other hotel clients and, you know, I, I hit a point where I was like, okay, I love traveling. I get the page travel. I was always on a plane. It was amazing. Um, I really fell in love with Mexico, the culture and as worlds will collide as they do in our industry and in hospitality and especially in PR, our friend Linda, who we both know, Linda and I both worked together at the, this agency called the Apple organization in Miami back a long time ago. And then our paths crossed again when she was working on the hotel side. So she was representing this um, Mexican hotel chain called Palace Resorts. And we did a press trip together because I was representing Cancun. And so Cancun, the destination, wanted to bring some press down. We needed a host hotel. We reached out to Linda. Linda said, sure, we'll take you guys. We were having a concert for Shakira was performing at the Palace, at the Moon Palace. And so we brought down a bunch of press and Linda and I just reconnected and we're like, wow, we love each other. This is amazing. Um, and we just kept, stayed in touch. And as the universe would have it, a couple of years later, uh, not even a couple of years, I want to say within with a couple of months after that trip happened, she reached out and she mentioned to me, hey, this is there's going to be a transition in the company. Um, they were going through a rebrand, um, Hard Rock, Cancun and Palace Resorts. The families were going through, you know, a division of brands and there was going to be a potential for a brand new marketing team to take over the Palace side because she was going to go over to the Hard Rock side. And she was like, I think you'd be perfect. Would you be interested? And at that point, I was like, yes, I was dying to go in-house. I wanted to leave the agency side. Agency life is, is it's a lot. But I also felt like I had gotten to a point where I learned everything I was going to learn. And I had never worked in-house specifically doing PR for one brand. And that's how I ended up with my first hotel uh, role at Palace Resorts. I basically came in. Um, I was hired as their internal public relations manager. And the first job that I had to do was basically hire an agency to help represent all of our hotels at the time, because the agency that they had at the time was mm -hmm. going to stay with the hard rock brand. We obviously couldn't have the same agent agency representing both both because it's a so, conflict of interest. Right. So I want to walk back now. I want to walk it back a little bit. Yes. So shout out to Linda. Who's now, I think her title is like area PR director for Lowe's hotels. And Linda's so, like the boss of PR Miami Lowe's hotels. Yes. And so Linda, region, actually, <laughs> and Linda introduced us. So there you go. That's our connection. So Linda, shout out to you. If you're listening, and so if listeners, if you ever check out all the social media for Lowe's hotels, especially in South Beach, she's doing it all herself. So you can actually write to her and we'll freak her out saying, hey, is this Linda? Uh, yeah. <laughs> you could do it. But, and 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 Donna, we got to give Donna a shout out because she actually also connected us in yeah. her. Yeah. Dana was with AIC and Eden Rock when yeah. I was there. So the world of hospitality and PR we're seeing is very small. But Absolutely. you're at your agency and I just want to kind of understand the difference because I don't know the difference, yeah. right? You're at an agency and you're pitching stories on behalf of, I guess, a bunch of clients, right? right. And if right. you want to go in-house, why do you need an agency if you are doing PR for in-house? That's, that's a very good question. That's a great question. So basically when I was on the agency side, I had at, a, at any given moment, five to seven clients. 
not by myself. We had a team, but I worked on seven different accounts. At one point I had Mexico, I had Cancun, I had Idol Mexico, I had Avis, I had Expedia for Latin America. And then I was working on the Bacardi account, which are a, a different department had gotten and I wanted to work on it because I just, they were relaunching their Cuban beer, um, mm -hmm. which had never existed in my, in the United States. And I was really excited about that as a Cubana, obviously. Mm -hmm. And so I was working on six, seven accounts at the time. And like every single client that you have thinks that they're the most important client and you have to treat them as such. You can never tell a client, like, I can't deal with you right now. I'm on the phone with another client or I'm sorry, I'm on a deadline for another client. Like I can't get that in time for you. You just have to find a way to make it work. And so that's why agency life is you grow so much because you get to touch on a bunch of different industries. Like I also worked on the ESPN account when they were launching Spanish language TV. So, I mean, I worked everything from spirits to digital, to destinations, to airlines, to online um, tour operators. So you really get a lot of really great experience on the agency side, but you are literally hustling all the time. Um, I would order dinner to the office three times out of the week at the very minimum because I'd be there till nine o'clock at night and I'd just come back and do it all over. But that was part of, I don't want to regret it. And I put in the work and I, you know, I loved it. I learned so much, but when you come in house, you know, you have to understand we're also coming in. It's not just one hotel. Right. We're, we were a brand and the brand slowly grew over time. So you can't have one person handling all the PR efforts for eight hotels. It's just, you need an agency to help support. So I think that that's why it was such a great fit for me, right? Because I've already spent seven years on the agency side. I know the ins and outs of how agencies operate. I know where they try to make money and where they try to upsell you on things. I know how much time it takes them to deliver something. So I just felt like I'm going to be on this side and you can't BS me because I know how long it takes to write a newsletter. I know how much it costs to design a newsletter. I know how much how much time it takes to develop a media list. So I just felt like it was the perfect role for me. And so when I came on, um, I did, I hired an agency and um, we worked with an agency for many, many years and it was, it was great. And then we just got to a point where as we started to grow and evolve as a brand, started building hotels in other destinations in Jamaica, started building in Los Cabos and started really expanding. It was like, okay, you know what? Like we need to just kind of bring this in house. And so leadership kind of made a decision. We don't need agencies. Do Yep. We can do this ourselves. You can build your, you can build your own team. And I felt hundred percent confident doing it because I've been on the agency side. So I could operate my team internally like an agency. So and I, so that's kind of how that happened. That's good. So I want to go back to when you first started. So you start at palace resorts and you have a tremendous career there. You have 10 years there, which is a long time in hospitality. Yes. And you start yes. off as a public relations manager. So I want to get back to that role. So you leave agency life you mm -hmm. join the hotel as public mm -hmm. relations manager. What is that role? What, what do you do in that job? Everybody thinks once you go in-house, it's a little more lax. And like, that's kind of the dream, right? When you're on the agency side, like go in-house because it's more relaxed and you're not going to be as stressed because you don't have all these clients. But it, it wasn't like that at all. It was still as time consuming and, and you still had to put in the work. But the beautiful thing about it is that I got to do it on my terms and kind of, you know, each hotel was a client, let's pretend. And, right. and you've, you've worked as a general manager and you know general managers, so you know the pride that general managers take in their hotels. So imagine having eight general managers constantly down your throat, like, hey, what are you doing to promote our new menu at the French restaurant? And then you have a GM at another hotel, like, hey, can you help us promote the Santa visit that we have for the holidays coming up? And it was like, I had to treat every single hotel as if it was a separate client. And then understanding where the goals were, if we needed to, re if one hotel needed a bigger push than the other, then that's where my focus would be, right? So in my role as PR managers, kick off at the beginning of the year, I'd sit down with every single GM, talk about their goals, what, what was important for them for the year. I'd sit down with each department, whether it was destination weddings, the MICE segment, which is very big because, you know, groups bring a lot of business to hotels. Um, and so that was a very big piece of business for us, the trade market, right? Travel agents working with tour operators, making sure that they're selling their groups and sending them to our hotels versus our competitors. And how do we stay on top of that? So I'd sit down with every single department and say, what are our goals this year? You know, and maybe weddings would say, Hey, we have a really big weddings trade show. It's in New York. There's going to be a lot of media there. Can you help us with some interviews to talk about what our weddings offerings are? Or sometimes it would sit down with our sales director and be like, Hey, we really need to push group meetings this year. We just spent millions of dollars building this new arena. We need to fill it. You know, let's go to this trade show. We're going to sponsor the motivation show, which was like a very big, an IMAX or a very big tra um, trade 
group shows. And so you meet with a lot of meeting planners and there'd be a lot of meetings media there. So I'd be coordinating interviews with the media from the MICE magazines and sit down with our VP of group sales to talk about what kind of benefits we offer groups. So I was basically servicing every single department and facet of our hotels and making sure that we were included in travel, weekly travel trade magazines, but then also talking to the consumer. If Brides Magazine was working on a piece on like the best honeymoon hotels in Cancun, like needed to make sure that we were included in that as well. And so that's kind of how I started. Um, and then I think as the industry evolved, it grew to a larger scale things like influencers, which have now taken over the world. Uh, yeah, and I want to get to that, but I want to yes. stick on one part of this because for a lot of people, like you said, like you would talk to someone like me saying, I need you to get this out there to the world so people come to this hotel. Right. How do you go about doing that? Do you have to make friends with writers? Do you have to like wine and dine them? Is it just that people are looking for stories? You know, how do you get that story out it, there? It's all of that. It's a combination of everything. Literally, my business is only successful based on relationships. Um, you want to make sure that you're a resource to reporters, right? And a lot of that takes time to build. It doesn't happen overnight. Um, I think I started traveling with a lot of these reporters when I would host press trips on the agency side. And I kind of, you know, became friendly with them. And you become friends with them because when you do press trips, like things like that, you you're spending three or four days with strangers and you either leave there really loving people or you are like, well, I'm never inviting that person on this trip again. So I think it's a relationships business, but it's also, yeah, I mean, whining and dining is part of it, right? Like, how do you get someone to listen to your story? And, you know, if, I've, if I want to work with a reporter that I've never worked with before and she has absolutely no idea what kind of clients I have and how I might be able to help her, I'm going to say, hey, can we grab coffee? Hey, can we grab lunch? You know, um, I think that, and once again, we can get into it, but COVID changed things the way we network in our industry now because I think a lot of it now is through social media and um, virtual, right? Um, but I think back in the day, it was a lot of that, whining and dining, building relationships, and being resources to reporters, even when they're not necessarily writing about your client. I mean, I can't tell you how many times I had someone reach out to me and say, like, hey, I'm working a story about, you know, a hotel that has pink hot tubs. And I'd be like, oh, none of my clients have them. But you know what? I think I know someone that does. Hey, Linda, do any of your hotels? And so just kind of they'll always remember that and they'll always come back to you because they know that you can be a trustworthy source for the information that they need. So I think that's that's part of it. Yeah, I like it. So you're crushing it. You're there December 2011 to 13 as the public relations manager. And then a promotion comes to director of public relations. Is that something that you sought out or did they come to you saying, hey, you're doing a great job? How did I have always advocated for myself, always. And I'm proud of it. Um, I have always advocated for myself. I know that I always bring a lot of value to the table. And I know that you know, in the industry, specifically in travel, I know I was killing it. My relationships were unmatched. And honestly, I always advocated for myself because I loved the role that I was in and I loved the work that I was doing and I loved the company that I was working for, but I wanted to make sure that I was always growing and not just changing a title, but that, you know, there was also growth on the financial end, right? Because I mean, if, if you're not growing, what are you doing, right? Right. So when you become a director, that's, that's your <laughs> first director level job. Mm -hmm. What was the biggest difference for you? The biggest difference was that when the director role came in, we basically completely let go of all the agencies. We had a digital agency, a PR agency, an advertising agency. And so I was literally tasked with building my own team. And that's what I was able to do. And so when the director role changed, it was no longer managing an agency where, yeah, sure, I could tell the agency what I needed from them. But they were an agency. They helped provide services to us, but they were not our employees. So it was very limited into what I could ask of them or deadlines and things like that. So I basically went from managing an agency with a team of, you know, six people. And then I came, I, I was tasked with building my team. So that's when I really stepped into a director role. And I was like, I have people under me. I'm literally leading the strategy for the entire brand when it comes to PR, obviously working with marketing as well. And so I had people reporting into me. I mean, I was responsible for other humans and their success and their tasks and their deliverables. And if something collapsed, I mean, it was on me, right? So what, what was that like the first time? Cause it's hard for people to be a superstar managing their work. So all of a sudden having to manage others, what was that like for you? Managing others is hard. It's, it's really hard. I think people always like, I, you know, 
love managing people. Like you have to play so many roles when you're managing people. And I think that helped me grow a lot. And I can't say that I was always perfect at it. You know, at the end of the day, you walk into this role and you're like, okay, I know what I need to get done and I know what I need to do to succeed. But then you have somebody rolling in that's like, oh my God, I'm sorry. Like, you know, my grandma is in the hospital and I couldn't come in. And I, I'm, I'm not gonna be able to do that for you. And then it's on you. And then you have to be empathetic, right? Because you have to play the role of a human. Like, you have to feel sorry, but then at the end of the day, you're like, great, how do I resolve this problem? Because I owe this and this to this person. Now I got to get it done. And so kind of, and managing personalities, right? That was such a big challenge for me. You know, um, I'm a very outgoing person, but I realized that a lot of people that I was tasked in working with were introverted and shy and maybe sometimes intimidating by my very Your forthcoming, aura. <laughs> like, you know, I'm very direct and I'm very, um, you know, and so managing different personalities, managing you know, um, expectations also as well, because as that, you know, as it comes when you're, as I said earlier, like every GM is your own little client, you know, sometimes you have to manage their expectations and be like, sorry, guys, like, I don't really think your Santa for holidays is press release worthy, but let me see how else I can help you. So managing expectations as well was something that I had to learn as well. So as yeah, so a good points, I think a lot of people need to learn that, especially when they start managing others and, you know, but you could listen, you're doing it well, you're here in Miami doing it, and then you get another promotion, right? And sometimes promotions are just titles that change, but you also move right. cities. So right. tell me about the next jump with Palace Resorts. How does that so happen? Then, so Palace Resorts was my dream job for a while, for a long time. You know, I think like with everything, you love it until, you know, you're ready for what's next. Um, and so in my role, I was traveling so much. Um, I was constantly coming to New York for meetings because at the time, you did editorial desk side meetings. That was before this virtual world existed, right? Where we can, I don't have to get on a plane. We can just hop on a Zoom and talk, right? Mm -hmm. um, but we were constantly, I was constantly flying to New York for editorial meetings, for events. Anytime we'd launch a hotel, we'd make, we'd have a big fancy party and we would do it in nowhere, none other than New York, right? Because that's where all the media was. And so after a couple of years of constantly being on a plane and I just, you know, one day said, to my boss like you know i really this it's always been my dream to live here um since i came the first time i came i was 17 and i just loved the energy of new york city and i never did it just because i was always afraid of failing and then it also became to a point where i was like well if i want to be in new york but i love my job more now so my job could have easily been like i'm sorry if you want to live in new york go find a job in new york and i guess i never i didn't want to do that because at the time it was my dream job and so i was like i'll just stay put here in miami got to a point where I just felt like Miami was not really doing anything for my growth. Um, I felt like I was going to the same events and seeing the same people and it just got kind of old. And I felt like I knew in my heart, New York was going to play a big role in my development career wise. And so, you know, one day we were here for an event. I think we were launching Jamaica. And I just said to my boss, I said, you know, can I just move here? I just want to work. I'll work remotely. I'll work, you know, more, you know, my work, you know what I can deliver. And they were just fine with it. They're like, that's fine. You, you can move there. But like, wow. we're not going to give you a salary increase. We're not going to pay for your move. Like you're on your own. But sure, go ahead and move there. And so I had the opportunity to take my dream job and my dream city. And I, I, I couldn't say no. And it was a very difficult time for me personally, because my grandfather at the time was getting really sick and he was in and out of hospitals. And I was, if there's anybody on this world that I was close to, it was my grandfather. And it was very scary for me to get on a plane and, and know that I was leaving during what might be like the last couple of years of his life that I wouldn't be there to experience it with him. But I knew that it was something I had to do for myself. And um, when I had a conversation with him about it, he said, if you think it's going to open doors for you, I will miss you. I wish you wouldn't go, but I, you have my blessing because I left Cuba to give your mom and your grandmother a better life. And I left my entire family behind and it was the best decision I ever made. So go. And I felt, I felt confident. I took, I bought a one-way ticket, didn't even wait two months. I think I got the green light in November. And by January, I was, I was already living here. All right. So let and me rewind so, this, rewind this for our listeners here and myself, because I'm, I'm very surprised. So there is no Palace Resorts office in New York. No, it and was you my just bedroom. happened to talk to your boss. <laughs> Who was your boss? Kathy Halpern. She was the vice president of marketing for Palace Resorts. And, and so uh, like, we hey, had a Kathy. conversation with ownership. Mm -hmm. Obviously, he, you know, owners needed to be okay with it. She also worked remotely. She was based in Westchester. So I had someone advocating for me that knew the work could get done. Very cool. So you push for it. It could have never happened if you didn't ask for it. Absolutely. What. I always right. push for everything I want. So you, Whether I, it happens or I'm, not, I try. 
I'm actually very <laughs> impressed right now. I've always been impressed with you, but even more now. So yeah. you're in New York. <laughs> you continue to crush it because now you get the final promotion with Palace Resorts at, and you hit vice president of public relations for the entire company, uh, which is a huge deal. Yeah. What does that entail? Is it truly a big jump in job it, responsibilities? It was a big jump in responsibilities, but mainly I think what, what ended up happening with that role is that I actually entered what must, what ended up being the most difficult time in the industry, right? For us, right? Which was COVID. Yeah. Um, that promotion happened, I want to say a January, year ago. Yeah. Yeah. yeah January 2019. Before. Exactly. And so 2019, you know, I, I, I went through a transition of team, team changes that I needed to make as well. Budgets started shifting. Um, we were starting to take on even more hotels. So I was managing budgets. I had to work with every single different department to make sure that I was, you know, allocating budget to each one, right? So if we had, you know, $50,000, $80,000 to work with for publicity ad buys, I needed to make sure that I was spreading it evenly, even, evenly between weddings and bridal and like, okay, well, the travel agents, do they need to push? And what can we do with that? Can we do an activation there? What are we doing with influencers? And so that role grew into something different because we launched an affiliate program, um, which was something we had never done before. We started doing more and more celebrity um, exposure um, activations, whether it was bringing more reality shows to the hotels, which I did a ton of, or it was kind of doing activations and partnering with celebrities to promote the resorts at, or either at either events. We did a lot of um, activations at celebrity driven events like the Emmys, the Oscars, Sundance Film Festival. We always made sure we had a table at these backstage events so that we had access to talk about our brand. So my role definitely evolved and responsibilities shifted. But I would say, you know, for the most part, the core of what I needed to do stayed the same, right? Which was to yep. maximize publicity for all of our brands as we as a company grew. So, and we grew a lot. So, so actually, actually a good segue because you mentioned all the activations and all the reality shows and all these things coming. And we touched on it for a second of the, the social media world and how that changed from when you started to now. And we'll get into what you're doing now. But when you're in Palace Resorts, mm -hmm. can you maybe give me like, you have so everyone's a social media influencer now, right? Yeah, right. I want I, I want to be one when I grow up, and right. everyone is. You're on your way, Steve. Ask, You're on your way. <laughs> well, with your help, one day, everyone's always asking, right? And I've seen, you know, back to Linda. I was like, what? How do you choose? And she kind of right. gave me a little bit, but how did you choose who you would work with in that world? So I want to say, you know, the influencer industry has evolved so much, whereas I think it changed once Instagram became a thing, right? It was very different when you were on Facebook, when Facebook first came out and you'd go on your vacation and you'd come back and you'd post an entire album of your, you know, 56 pictures from your four day cruise with your family. And people were like, cool, you know, but I think Instagram really came and changed, um, changed the game for the travel industry specifically because Instagram became this platform where it's everything is visual and it created this like fear of missing out FOMO right so you you saw these travel influencers starting to post about these different destinations and hotels and you wanted to know where they were and I think that really helped pave the way for travel um, but I want to say in the very beginning I was kind of turned off by them myself because I grew up in an era where traditional PR was you're a journalist, you're, you're a journalist. Oh, you write for a magazine, you write for a newspaper, you're the real deal. And influencers were very much frowned upon on in the beginning. I, I would personally get tons of, turned off when I have someone reach out and be like, I'm a blogger, I wanna go write about your hotel. And I was like, who reads your blog? You know? Mm -hmm. Yeah, who are you? <laughs> and so who are you? Like, are, oh, are you Travel Weekly? Are you Travel and Leisure? Oh, you write for Oprah Magazine? Oh, you're with the Miami Herald? Like, oh, okay, but like your blog? Like, who reads your blog? No, I, and then it was very hard in the beginning to pull stats and actually be able to prove how many people were reading said blog. Um, now there's these amazing tools that you can use to pull information like that. But um, at the time it was kind of, um, it was a vibe. I, I, it was hard to explain it. When there weren't the tools, it was a vibe. Did you like their content? Do you see that people were actually engaging with their content? And as Instagram grew and followers became a thing, right? Then that whole, you know, that whole situation evolved because then people were able to start buying followers. And then people were buying fake followers and buying fake engagements. So it looked like they'd have all these thousands and thousands of followers and thousands of likes and hundreds of comments and they're all bots. Wow. So suddenly I had to teach myself how to vet an influencer because at the time, those in the early days, like I want to say, 
you know, they, we didn't have these cool platforms that we have now that we can, I can actually scan an influencer's profile and these software companies will tell me if they have bought fake followers back in the day, you kind of just had to use your best judgment, scroll through their comments, read them, see if they were emojis or bot comments, kind of look at their followers, make sure that their followers match their engagement. Cause sometimes they had maybe 5,000 followers, but all hundreds of comments. So you knew they were buying comments. And so it, in the very beginning, it was just kind of looking at their content, seeing if it was aligned with your brand and taking a chance on them and also selling leadership on it. Because at the beginning, when I would come back to my, to our owners and say, Hey, there's an influencer and they'd be like, what? Influ they want a free hotel room just to post pictures. No, we're not going to do that. Are you kidding mm -hmm. me? And so it became a thing where we're like, okay, as it continued to evolve, we saw, we saw that it was growing exponentially. We're like we need to develop a program for influencers. Um, and so I kind of divided them up into different tiers. And so if it was someone that we really, really loved and really wanted to work with, um, you know, we'd work out some kind of trade. Um, we'd outline, you know, the, the, the deliverables, how many posts, how many stories, were they bigger on Snapchat versus Twitter versus Instagram. YouTube was a very big thing also. So if we could get a big YouTuber to film their whole experience, like that would be part of the deal. Um, if they have a blog, we wanted a recap on the blog as well. So I kind of negotiate with each one on, you know, based on what our needs were and what they were willing to, to do. And at the time, I think most influencers were really just trying to get their name out there and trying to get content. So they would accept, you know, a couple of room nights for free in exchange for content. But I think now where we're at is, you know, nobody wants free rooms. Like these influencers are, are real. They're the real deal now. And mm -hmm. they've built careers out of this and they, they can pay for their own vacations. They want to get paid for their content, their talent and their time. And so that's been such a big shift in the PR world specifically for us. And I think a lot of that started to come into play when we started working with a lot of reality show TVs. I, you know, just kind of going to different events or participating in different um, activations. I'd meet, you know, producers or field producers or scouters and be like, hey, like we're working on reality shows. Reality shows started to blow up at the time. Um, and they were always looking to make it more interesting, right? How do you increase viewer and audio like audience? Well, you, you know, take, let's take the cast on a trip internationally and film the whole thing. And so they want like Real Housewives of New Jersey, like let's take them out of Jersey and put them in Cancun and give them some tequila and see what <laughs> happens. And so a lot of that started to happen and started working with a lot of reality shows. And a lot of those reality show stars became influencers because they were popular for a season. But once the season's over, if they're not on the show the next season, they forget about them. But at that point, they've already grown their social media presence. So you always like, hey, I remember that guy from Big Brother or hey, I remember that girl was on Married at First Sight the first season. And so that's where the influencer and celebrity world collided, right? Because now these people that were just common folk like you and I became a celebrity thanks to a show and continued to grow their following thanks to social media. So, so now in hospitality and travel, I'm going on a little, little rabbit hole with you. Do you yeah. see this as it's going to continue going on or is it starting to die out? How do you see this world of, you mentioned TikTok and Instagram and Snapchat a little bit. Twitter, YouTube, YouTube shorts, right? Like it keeps going yeah. on. Be real now that you, you were real. looking at the other day. Yeah. So where do you see this going? I think that influencers are never going to go away. As long as there's social media, there's always going to be a new platform and dating myself here, but you can remember the days of MySpace, right? Mm -hmm. And then everyone started talking about Facebook and people were like, well, well we don't want to try Facebook. We like MySpace. And then everyone jumped on the Facebook platform, right? And then you're like, oh, there's this thing called Twitter. I remember I was like, weirded out by Twitter at first and like Twitter because it's such an incredible tool for me just work-wise finding information and reaching out to people um and Twitter blew up right and then suddenly you know Facebook became like the old school thing and now everybody's on Instagram and now Instagram is shifting and like TikTok and there's always I think that's going to continue to evolve I don't think we're going to get away from that as technology evolves as the internet evolves like there's always going to be a new platform and there's always going to be a new way to de deliver um content and I think as marketers and you know as a publicist in the hotel hospitality industry like we can't ignore that and we have to accept the fact that i will always always value an, an article in travel and leisure about a hotel because i grew up reading travel and leisure and to me travel and leisure is like the god bible of all travel right but you can't ignore that people have also come to trust and listen to other people thanks to the internet right and so whatever space you're in, whether it's wellness or fitness or 
culinary, I'm sure there's some influencer you follow that you really love their content and you trust their judgment. And if they tell you they had an exceptional time at this hotel when they went on vacation, you're going to want to check it out. And if they're constantly posting all the different things they did and ate and the service and the pools, and it's going to make you, it creates that FOMO, right? I want to be there. Where is that? And there's something to be said about what that influencer can give you in that experience versus reading a paragraph in a magazine. I like that. I think that's you, very You can well have said. someone take you there. Mm-hmm. With that. The magazine can't take you there. The magazine can write, you know, a couple paragraphs about it and post some beautiful pictures. But you're having a person now literally take you there and showing you what you could be experiencing yourself and you can't you can't take the credibility away from that. I haven't thought about it that way. That's very cool. I'm have to Keep that in it's mind. Just like, I stuck it's just stuff. like you, Steve. You're the hospitality expert, right? And so people come to you and they trust you when you talk about, you know, programs that you implement for hotels or what would make be a really great revenue um, driver for food and beverage, right? Because you've been there and you've done that and you know good service. So I bet if you told someone, I went to this restaurant and the service was impeccable and it was the best lamb I ever ate and they know that you're a guy that likes food and likes hospitality, they're going to trust you. And they're going to be like, I'm going to have to check that place out because I trust your recommendation the only difference is that now we have access to tell millions of people via the internet that's true a lot of pressure on my shoulders now sessie yeah <laughs> <laughs> all right so you're at palace resorts your dream job you've pushed to get yourself to new york which i'm still impressed by and yep. life changes a little bit what happens life changes so i moved to new york in 2015 grandfather passes away six months later a really tough time for me he passed away while I was actually on the plane in Cancun heading to see him um very very rough time um I met my what would be my soon-to-be husband um at the time in Miami um and so I slowly but surely and very rapidly reeled into New York City because this is where I wanted to be (laughs) and we you know he moved up here we developed our our relationship and then I continued to work remotely and, you know, I want to say like a lot of opportunities started kind of coming my way just from being here, you know, meeting new people and like people reaching out to me and saying like, Hey, would you take on extra work? Like, are you interested in consulting? Can I just pick your brain for this? That's how it started. Can I pick your brain? And I, now I have like such a stigma against that. Cause I was like, no, you cannot pick my brain because my brain now costs money. So you can, yes. you can pick it now, but at an hourly rate. <laughs> But I think that it started with someone reaching out to me, a friend of mine that worked at an agency and said, hey, can I pick your brain? We just got, um, you know, a new client and we need someone that has kind of some experience in travel, but that speaks Spanish and can speak to that Hispanic demographic. And so I started consulting and I just, you know, I, I really enjoyed it. And I was like, wow, I think it gets to the point where everyone, I think everybody gets to this point where you, you love your job. It's your dream job until you realize that you're just, You've done everything that you can do in that role. You're not learning anything else. And so I think I was guilty of maybe staying there longer than I that I should have because I loved the brand. I loved the company. I loved the family. They were so good to me. Um, I loved the product. It was so easy to sell. And I got to travel all the time. So I outweighed those things by saying, you know, I those things outweighed the other things that were in my head, which is like, I'm bored. I'm not learning anything new. I'm on autopilot. I'm literally just going through the motions. And I just knew that I was too young to be going about the motions at this point. So I started an LLC and I started consulting. And so were you um, doing this while you were still working at Palace? Like uh, as a side job? As side hustle. My listeners, you know that I appreciate the side hustle. So, okay. So you're doing it. Good. Listen, this is New York City. Okay. (laughs) Remember, I was on a Florida salary in New York City. So you needed to survive. And when hustle, side hustle opportunities came my way, if I had the bandwidth to do it, I would absolutely do it. Um, And obviously none of them ever, they weren't a conflict of interest because I was consulting for Israel, which (laughs) is obviously the Israel Ministry of Tourism, completely different than Cancun. Um, And and then I started working with some beauty clients accidentally. And how did that happen? Um, You know, I I got approached from a a family friend and said, hey, you know, um, a friend, a family member is launching a, a nail polish line. Would you be would you be interested in doing beauty PR? And I was like, I, I was actually going to refer her to someone else because I was like, I don't, I've never touched beauty. I don't know. I don't have I don't have those relationships established like I had in the travel industry because I'd been in it for so long. But you know, I took a stab at it and 
it's going to be three years in November that I've been working on, on still working on that. Um, and so I kind of started to dabble into beauty and I realized that I loved it because I do, I be, I consume beauty. I love beauty. I'm all about beauty products. I'm learning about this and that. And so it was so nice to be able to kind of break into a new industry. And, you know, at the end of the day, I had confidence in myself. Sure. I was afraid at first because I, I thought, wow, I want to make sure I do a really great job for these people because, you know, I, I, I my reputation has always been very important to me and I want to make sure that I always deliver quality work. Right. But I did know that PR is a formula. It's a formula. It is like a math. It's a mathematical formula at the end of the day. If once you know how to do it in one industry, I firmly believe you can do it in any other industry. It just will take a little time for you to build those relationships and understand maybe a different industry um, and whether you enjoy it or not. Because I truly remember pitching real estate. I was miserable. I remember when I was pitching um, American Express travel rewards and business reporters, I was miserable. But let's talk about nail polish. Let's talk about this, uh, you know, luxury presidential suite. Let's talk about this incredible spa in Jamaica. Like that was, that was fascinating to me. So I, I realized that anything that you're passionate about, you, you're going to be able to sell it to someone. So um, that's kind of how my little consulting business grew into what it is now. Right. And it's so when, did, when does it go? Chance. So when does it go from being side hustle to the full time? Yeah. So <laughs> it's it's a funny story and I've I've never I've never really told many people this story but it so I I founded the side hustle I got an LLC back in 2018 um and it was always my goal to eventually you know leave my full-time job and and be able to do this you know but I really liked having access to my salary <laughs> mm -hmm. and saving as much money as possible right because that was kind of like my goal um and then COVID hit 2019 was the year that I was going to, after 2019, um, I, got, I got married in 2019. And after I came back from the wedding and the honeymoon and all that stuff, I said, all right, 2020 is going to be my year. I'm going to quit my job and I'm going to launch this and take a chance on myself. And then we all know what happened in 2020. In March of 2020, um, the world basically collapsed and COVID hit. And obviously we know it, it, it affected every single industry, but nobody got hit harder than travel and hospitality because people were told, don't go out to eat, don't go to restaurants don't get on a plane, don't go to hotels, it's not safe to travel. And so that was ended up being not the year <laughs> mm -hmm. that I, I, it was actually a very difficult year opposite. I actually, um, our hotels were shut down for a few months, which was, you know, hotels in Mexico are 90% driven by US business. So we had no choice but to shut down the hotels because there were no visitors, nobody right. was coming, nobody was getting on planes. Um, and so it was a very difficult year. Um, and so, yeah, we kind of just wrote it out. It was basically a lot of crisis communications. Um, I feel like during the COVID 2020 news cycle was completely changing. You know, officials would say one thing one day and then a week later they'd switch and say, no, actually, it's not safe to do that either. Or, that was hard. you know, and so, yeah, maintaining communication during that year. I mean, that is really the crisis communication. <laughs> Have I ever, I've had lots of crisis communication experience, but 2020 was really the year that put it into full blown, like, crisis mode because every day we had to come up with a different message on what we were saying, what we were doing, what the protocols were. And so, um, yeah, that's kind of how 2020 evolved. And then, you know, 2021 rolled around company restructuring, right. After many years of being uh, many months of being shut down and, you know, budget cuts and company losing a lot of money, they decided to restructure and pretty much wipe out all of their marketing Miami based marketing department. Um, I had to dismantle my team and uh, they just basically said, Hey, thanks so much for your service. And uh, we love you, but uh, we're going to move everything to, to Mexico. And wow. so, yeah. And so my initial launch, I always explain it as, you know, that when you're in a bad relationship and you want to break up with someone mm -hmm. and you just don't do it. Cause you're like, Oh, you just put it off and you're like, okay, I'll eventually get to it. I know I'm not going to end up with this person long-term, but I'm going to eventually get around to ending this relationship. Just not right now. Cause I got too much going on. And then they break up with you and you're like, wait, you're breaking up with me. Wait, I want no, to break, I break up with you. With you. <laughs> <laughs> I've actually been wanting to break up with you for many years now, <laughs> but no, I mean, it was all amicable terms understood. It made sense. Listen, they, you know, the hotel industry suffered a lot. They needed to cut costs. What do they do? They start with the bigger U S salaries and they get, you know, they do what they need to do to tighten up. And um, they transitioned everything over to Mexico, but you know, the owners were amazing to me. They took very good care of me and I have, 
I, I still speak with them. Um, I loved my time there. I loved their hotel brand. I, I, I mean, I, I love what I did. And I'm so grateful to them because they literally gave me the platform to kind of grow. They let me run with all my crazy ideas. I never felt micromanaged. Um, they let me do so many things outside of the box and they, they gave me New York. So for them, I'm eternally grateful. And they gave me all the experience that I literally have now and can turn around and say, what, what, what hotel needs me? I have done crisis communications for hotels. I've had people get murdered at our hotels. I've got, had people, you know, die of dr drowning, you know, in our destinations. Tough, yeah. I mean, I've literally yeah. done every form of crisis communication, but I can also upsell your French Caribbean, you know, cuisine as well. So right. I am eternally grateful for those 10 years that I had there. Um, they were such a great educational experience and I made the best connections there. And I just made some of the best relationships that I carried on into my next chapter. So um, I, I love it. I love the hospitality industry. I love hotels. I'm, you know, thanks to that ho that job, I basically just, I can't stand staying at shitty hotels. You know, we, we've become bougie now. We like good stuff. We yes. know good service. And that's now our downfall everywhere we go we're like judging service judging housekeeping what's going on here and so i'm eternally grateful for those 10 years it was an amazing experience all right so now let's get into this so you were broken up with even though you wanted to break up with that person right you had your side hustle <laughs> going for a couple of years yeah and then you launch so what has been the biggest difference you know because like you had said at the beginning of this you worked for someone that wasn't teaching and maybe wasn't the best and was just kind of hanging on. Um, but you are now in charge of your place. So tell me, how is it different for you after being on your own? It's exhausting. This has been probably the hardest year of my life. And I think that it's amazing and I'm loving the experience and I'm loving the journey, but I miss, I miss having a team. It's, it's not, you know, it's not the easiest being a one man band. Um, and I really, you know, I enjoyed that part of, you know, when I was on my old job, I had a team that I could fall back on if I had an emergency or I had a deadline or too many projects came in at one time, like, hey, I need you to take over this and I need you to take over that. And so I think it's been a journey, but it's been very challenging being a team of one because I'm only one person. And so I'm now, you know, the account executive, the coordinator, the admin, and also the boss, right? Because I'm literally having to do a lot of things that I didn't do I hadn't done in a long time. And the salesperson right? and the bookkeeper. And the salesperson. Well, and the bookkeeper, mm -hmm. I'm lucky. I have a, a husband okay. in finance. He does my invoicing. But yeah, you know, it's it's been it's been learning how to balance everything and, and kind of taking that chance on yourself. And I said to myself, you know, when I did get laid off basically a year ago, almost a year ago in November was, okay, I can get another job because I know I'm highly marketable. I know I have great experience and I know that people will hire me and I can get another even higher paying job. But I always wondered what it was like to kind of just work for yourself on your terms and probably make more money than I was making as a salaried employee. I just realized that I had to do it. I had to take a chance on myself. I couldn't, I couldn't do not do it and then always regret or wonder like, what if, you know, um, and at the end of the day, you're not, nobody's, in, nobody's indispensable. I stayed there for 10 years, but it could have been a very different story. Um, it could have been much shorter. I could have got another job and then you know, at the end of the day, that job is not forever. Changes happen. And so I feel like I needed to do this to take control of myself and my future. I could control how much money I make, how much work I take on and who I work with. Because how many times did I get things that would come my way when I was as an employee? Be like, you need to promote this new travel agent program. And I'd be like, why? It's so boring. <laughs> I don't want to do this. I don't want to pitch a trap. You know, no, yeah. this is boring. I And so... Now I get to be like, yeah, that's actually really interesting. I'd love to work on that. And now it's like, mm, that's not a right fit for me. And I've passed on stuff because I only want to work with people that I love and brands and, and industries that I'm passionate about. And so here I am. Well, thank you for not passing on me, Ceci, and uh, for, <laughs> for helping me on my journey as well. And I would tell you this. You know, Ceci's been in her business a year now and is crushing it. So if you're lucky enough to get to work with her, you know, make sure you even ask because she'll do a great job for you. But Ceci, I want to I want to go back to my last question. So if you were going back to Ceci dragging her tripod and camera through the dirt in your coach heels and she was on your team today, 
what uh-huh. advice would you give her if she was starting out in the PR hospitality world? I, the same advice that I literally give everybody to this day is to be nice and grateful to everyone because this world is way too small. And when you're not nice to people, they remember. And when you're nice to people, they remember. And I think hospitality in itself is a relationships industry. And when people like you, they want to work with you. And when they don't like you, they don't want to do anything to help you. So just be kind and be grateful and soak in as much as you can in every job that you have, because every role is going to teach you something different. I love it. I think that's great advice for anybody in any industry. Thank you so much for joining me today on the show. I appreciate you joining. I'm going to go finish my Biscayne coffee here. Oh, Biscayne coffee shout out. Make sure everyone get your Biscayne coffee. We'll hold it up here for you all to see it. Uh, we both have our mugs here. Uh, but Ceci, I appreciate it very much. Uh, I love working with you and I'm excited for what we got coming up. Yes. Thanks, Steve. This podcast is brought to you by Biscayne Coffee. Biscayne Coffee was founded with a giving spirit and a big idea to enjoy delicious coffee roasted in Miami while helping save Biscayne Bay and the animals that live there. As a former food and beverage director, I can assure you these are some of the best quality beans on the planet. 10% of every coffee sold is donated to nonprofits to help preserve Biscayne Bay for all to enjoy. Visit BiscayneCoffee.com today and use promo code MENTOR at checkout to save 10% on your first order. Drink good coffee and create a good outcome.